excited about the next part. You may not be, but, you know, uh, <laughs> preacher's out of town. If you're a visitor here, uh, Pastor Carter is out of town. This is kind of a thing that usually works out. Uh, he's preaching at a church in Ohio, so we have prayer for him this morning. And it works out for me to have the opportunity just to kind of meet you a little bit and you to get to know who the uh, missions and outreach pastor is. If you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, we're going to read a, a, a passage here. Just kind of get going. Second Chronicles chapter 21. We'll get right into it. Second Chronicles 21 verse 1 says, Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers. He was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel and Zechariah and Azariah and Michael and Shepatiah and these were the sons of Jehoshaphat king of Israel and their father gave them all, gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things with fenced cities in Judah but the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was the firstborn now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and divers also the princes of Israel Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. Verse 6, it says that he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains. Verse 11, skip down to verse 11 for time's sake. Verse 11, it says, Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereunto. Now, fast forward into verse 20. It says, 30 and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchers of the kings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and for this day of celebration, the mission trips and what you did in our lives and how you uh, encouraged us and helped us in the work that we've seen done. Lord, I pray that you just continue to be with this service, help it to be an encouragement to someone this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. I, am a, I, I recognize that I'm not an old guy, and I don't need any comments on that. Old is relative as to what you're comparing it to. But I begin to think about some things. A few events in my life have happened in the past year that has started to make me think about my age a little more than maybe I ever did. Uh, something happened at 45. I can't recover as quick from things as I used to. And uh, I, I hurt more than I used to. And just, you know, just those typical things that as you begin to age a little bit, you notice. Uh, probably a big event in my life that made me really consider my age uh, was when my father passed away. I'd never, never lost anybody close to me. Grandparents, but, but man, when you, when you lose a parent, it, 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 it starts to make you take some inventory and look at your life and look at your age and where you're at. And, uh, then uh, this year uh, in June, I became a grandfather. And that'll begin to make you think, well, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. And just this week, I was sitting and thinking that my 30-year class reunion is coming up. I've been out of high school for 30 years. Okay, I'm old. I mean, I mean that, that's the conclusion I arrived at. I am an old dude. Well, and then when you begin to think about that, the next thing you think about is obviously death. There's going to be a day someday that uh, 
hopefully right here, I'll be laid out and I'll be moved from this place to another and it's just part of the circle of life. It's just the way it goes. And I got to thinking about how I want that to go and, and really it was really simple. I arrived at the very easy conclusion. I want a lot of people here at my funeral. I want a lot of people crying and I want everybody to be, to, to be really sad when I die. It's not, you know, I've heard people say, I want it to be a, I don't want it, you celebrate when I die. What you really upset about it? I used to have a friend, used to have a friend that would say, uh, if you used to die, I'd have to hire your other five pallbearers. Well, I, I really don't, I really don't want that to be the case with me. I want there to be a lot of really mournful, upset, sad people because I'm not going to be in your life anymore. And that makes sense? Now, some of that I'm being funny, but you get it. This guy in this story here, Jehoram, it says that he died without being desired. Can you just imagine how terrible that would be to die and nobody show up at your funeral? Well, that's pretty much what the case was here. With this guy. And basically what it amounts to and what we want to look at today is a wasted life. I can't imagine living on earth for at this point 46 years. I hope I got another 30 or 40 in me. And living to be 75 or 80 years old and looking back and thinking, man, I wasted my life. I can think about personally and I'm not going to go into all of that this morning for time's sake, but I can assure you that I wasted at this point in my life an entire decade of my life. The 30s, my 30s were completely wasted. From the time that I turned 30 till right about the time I turned 40, I just wasted my life. Now that's just one decade of it. I really don't want to have that happen at the end. I, I want to be able to hopefully make a comeback from that. But think about it. Imagine with me this morning if you wasted your entire life the way Jehoram did. I, I want to make some observations by, by way of introduction about Jehoram's life and what he did that made his life a total waste. The first thing that I notice is that he was given a tremendous opportunity. We see in verses 1 through 3, it talks about how that his father passed away and by an inheritance and him being the oldest son, he was given the kingdom. Now you think about what goes along in that day with inheriting the position of king. You immediately are wealthy. You immediately have almost unmitigated uh, power, uh, complete freedom. You have security. There's so many layers that people can't get to. Think about this. How many of you in the morning... Or at some time tomorrow, maybe you work a different shift. But sometime tomorrow, you have to be at work at a certain time. Right? Okay, this guy didn't have to be at work at a certain time. He's the king. He gets there when he wants to get there. He didn't even own an alarm clock. He just woke up when he wanted to. He was given a tremendous gift. You know what? Those of us that are in here this morning... Uh, you're in one of two categories. You're either already a Christian, and as a result, you've been given the greatest gift ever. And in addition to that gift of salvation, you've been given spiritual gifts that God wants to use in your life. If you're in here this morning, and there's never been a time where you put your trust in Christ, let me assure you of this, you've been offered, and the greatest gift ever is available to you, and it's up to you what you do with that gift. But this guy, Jehoram, he was, been, he was given the greatest opportunity ever, just handed to him on a silver platter. The next observation I make about this guy is in verses 4, four through 5. We see very simply, and I want to I read that, just that phrase again. 
verse 4 it says, Now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his fathers, he strengthened himself. His greatest concern was personal agenda. You see, he wasn't concerned or he wasn't trying to better the kingdom. He wasn't concerned about his people. He wasn't concerned about the needy people of Israel. He wasn't trying to better the infrastructure of the country or provide jobs for the people or whatever kings did. He was worried about one thing and one thing only, his personal agenda. I remember what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about how to waste your life. How to live a life and die someday and before you die, look back on it and know that it was a complete waste. His personal agenda was his only concern. That's the only thing that mattered to Jehoram. The next thing we see about him is in verse 6. It talks about how that he was influenced by the standards set by society at that time. His greatest influence was his father-in-law, Ahab. Ahab was described by the late great preacher, R.G. Lee, and I I wish I could say it like he did. He pastored the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis for years, very famous preacher. He preached a famous sermon called Payday Sunday, and he described Ahab as the vile human toad that squatted upon the throne of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, gives a description of Ahab. And Ahab, the son of Amra did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Above all that were before. Basically, what it's saying here is in 1 Kings there, it's saying that Ahab was the worst guy that had ever lived up until that point. What a title to have. And this is the guy that Jehoram let influence him. This is the guy that Jehoram wanted to be like. Who's influencing you this morning? How are you setting your standard? What is acceptable or not acceptable to you? And what do you base that on? Remember, we're talking about how to not have a wasted life. Jehoram wasted his life, and nobody missed him when he was gone. His personal agenda was the most important thing to him. And he based his standards and how he lived, and he was influenced by the world, by the worst guy that had ever lived. Um, Man, what a, what a tragedy. What a wasted opportunity. We see in verse 11, and I think this is all begins to build. Because he did this, this happened. And because he did that, this happened. And it ends up in verse 11, as a result of the influence of Ahab, he followed the natural progression to do what Ahab did, and that was to set up idols and begin to worship false gods. You see, what happens is, When you become the center of the world and everything is based upon worldly standards and what the world deems to be acceptable or not acceptable, it won't be long at all. It'll be really soon that you'll begin to put things above God and in front of God. And and, and that's basically what an idol is. Do I think anybody's going to get a little statue of a little fat guy and set it in your house and pray to it? No, not one person in here would do that. But you would put things above God. We've all been guilty of that. We've all been guilty of idol worship in one form or another. And like I say, we don't kneel down to some carved out figure. We just put other things above God. And this is how you can live a wasted life. And then the last thing that we see there in these observations about Jehoram is in verse 20, he died and no one missed him. 
He says he died without being desired. He didn't even get buried where he was supposed to be buried. They just stuck him somewhere else. Now, I just want to ask you a question. We're going to answer it as simply as we can this morning. How do we avoid wasting our life? How do we miss this? How do we not do what Jehoram did? Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. All right, are you ready? I'm going to tell you in one sentence how to not waste your life. I'll tell you one phrase, one sentence, how not to run it off the rails. And I know really, I have really good experience in how to do that, okay? Here's how you don't waste your life. Choose the will of God over the world's model. That's it. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's the simple answer. That's broken down to the most ridiculous, simplest thing. Is do the will of God. Choose the will of God over the world's model. Listen to me. I don't care who you are, where you work, what line of, uh, what your hobbies are, where you go to. Every single person in here on a regular basis is faced with a decision. Do I do what the world says or do I follow what God says? Because we're challenged with that on a regular basis. Hey, there are people that think we are crazy. Do you know that? Because of the things we believe and the things that we do. But hey, my answer to them is, you know what? We'll figure this out in the end. And I like my chances better than yours. But the question is very simply, what are you going to choose? Because that's going to dictate whether or not you waste your life. When we look at the world's model, it's all about self-promotion. You, you read humanistic authors and go to the self-help sections and everything is about me promoting myself. Well, that's not the biblical model. What's the biblical model? The biblical model is to humble yourself and allow God to exalt you. The, the world's model tells us that, that we should be all about success orientation. I've got to be successful. The problem is we allow the world to set the standard and keep the score for us about what is and what isn't successful. Let me tell you a story. <clears throat> My dad, as I mentioned earlier, passed away last year. And as we stood in that receiving line, For hours, there were people lined all the way out the funeral home and I think around the building a couple times it seemed like. I I, I didn't go out there, but as long as I stood there, it seemed like that long. And my dad wasn't a wealthy man. He liked to look like he was wealthy, but he really wasn't. (laughs) Uh, I used to kid all the time. I've told people before that my parents, uh, they mortgaged us into into middle class and and they did that because they loved my brother and I and wanted us to have the best things. But but, but we, we just weren't wealthy people. My dad didn't leave me a big inheritance, but you know what he left me? Let me tell you what happened. As we stood there in that line, person after person after person came through that line and told us stories about how dad had helped them. 
But your dad bailed me out once when I was in a real jam. He gave me some money, and then he wouldn't let me pay him back. And that's why my dad never had anything, because he gave it away. I know three people walked through that line and told me stories about how your dad led me to the Lord. One guy said, your dad led me to the Lord in the wash rack at a car dealership that we worked at together. He stood back there and took his Bible, and I prayed and asked the Lord to save me, standing back there where you wash cars. Another guy said, your dad led me to the Lord in his office at the apartment complex. He managed an apartment complex. and He he said, your dad led me to the Lord sitting there in that office. I prayed and asked God to save me, and he showed me how. Another guy came up, great guy, good family, said, your dad knocked on my door one day. And as a result of that visit, he, he, he told me about Jesus and how to get saved. And I, I stood right there in my door on my porch and asked God to save me. That's better than any inheritance I could have ever gotten. And you see, the world bases success on material possessions and what you can see and what you can feel. But to me, that's successful. We are so obsessed with the security of our position the reason that we have so many people problems, the reason we get so mad at our neighbor and people that have been associates or friends of the past is because they've somehow infringed upon our rights. And as a result, we have problems and fallen outs with them because we're so protective of our position and who we are. Well, so that's what we don't want to do. But what about what we do want to do? The will of God. And and it seems that the will of God for Christian people is such an ambiguous thing. It's like an Easter egg that we're trying to find. That's not true. I know young people struggle with that. They want to find the will of God. You guys that are sitting over here, you know, and I understand you want to know exactly what it is God wants you to do. Does He want you to be a preacher, a missionary, or a, you know, a a doctor, or a law? I get that. But the simplest form of the will of God is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And it's the same for every one of us. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Here's the simple answer to it. The will of God is to be like Jesus. That's it. That's the simplest answer. What God's will is for your life is that you wake up every day and you be like Jesus. Jesus was never offended. You know why? Because he didn't put himself in the middle. It wasn't all about him. So nobody could offend him. Right? Our offenses always come because, we're, because of our self-promotion. It's, it's the way, if we live like Jesus, we won't have people problems. We won't have money problems. Jesus didn't have any money problems. He gave it all away. <laughs> Jesus basically was, a, was homeless. See, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. So what if we did this this morning? Let's look real quick. And this is the whole sermon. That's all been introduction. This is the sermon, and it's going to be really short. It's two points. How to be like Jesus. First of all, love what he loved. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Let's look and see what did Jesus love, and let's love that. You know, we love a lot of things. We are motivated by a lot of things. But Jesus was motivated by two very specific things it talks about in the Bible. First of all, in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it. So the first thing that we're positive that Jesus loved was the church. You know what we do when we love something or someone? What do we give to it? Well, the first thing we give to it is our time. If you love something and you really care about it, you give your time to it. How many of you have ever given some time to a hobby? You ever done that? Well, I'll get caught up in a hobby and I'll get going on it. And every, Here lately I've been fishing a little bit and every time John Welburn walks in the door, I show him some pictures of what fish I've been catching. And none of them are anything compared to what he catches, but, you know, I do the best I can. We spend all kind of, and I'm not, not going to quit fishing. I'm not, I'm not telling you to give up your hobbies and not do that. But you can look at, at what you spend your time doing and those are the things you love. Man, we give our treasure to the things we love. It's just, it's ridiculous how much money I can spend on fishing lures and fishing tackle and, and, and boats and, you know. Now, trust me, you can't get mad at me this morning because I'm talking about myself. I, I've, I've spent a bunch of money on fishing stuff in the last few months because the bug kind of bit me again. But it's indicative of what, our, what we love, right? You spend your time, your treasure, and then your talents as well. That's a very simple uh, alliterated thing that everybody uses. But the things that you love, you give them your time, talent, and treasure. You look at your spouse, man. What if the only time that I ever spent any time with my wife was when everything was convenient for her? Okay, let's see. Next Tuesday, I don't think I have anything going on, Stacy. Uh, if you want to go out to eat. Now, how would she feel if that's, what I, if that's how I approached her? Christ loved the church so much he gave his life for it. What are you giving to the church? If you're here this morning and you've been coming to this church for three or four or five months and you haven't joined, maybe the first step you can make is to join. I think you figured out you like it if you've been coming here that long and you had not joined yet. Join. If you've joined and you're not involved in a ministry, find a ministry. Get involved. Do something. Because the more time you spend, the more talent you invest in something, the more it proves how much you love it. So if you're involved in a ministry, if you're not in a small group, guess where you need to get? In a small group, in a life group. You need to get involved. Because the more you dig into this thing, the more you get involved in what's going on right here. around That's what God, God loved the church. And he gave himself for it. This is what's important to him. So if we're going to be like Jesus, this should be important to us too as well, right? So the first thing that he loved was the church. The second thing we see that he loved is John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The second thing that Jesus loved is sinners. He loved the church and he loved sinners. Very easy question. And I hate this question. I hate this question to be posed to me because it convicts me. I think about my life. I think about how I live every day. I get up in the morning and I come to the church and I work here at the church all day and I get done and I go home and I'm at the house with my family, with my wife, and just about everybody that I'm around, almost everybody on staff is saved. I don't know if you realize that or not. (laughs) So it's hard for me. I have to go out of my way and really get out of my lane to go and try to seek out somebody that I can share the gospel with. But I'm convicted about the fact that I don't do that as often as I should. It's not as habitual for me as it should be. I'm not just turning conversations with people towards evangelistic topics like I should be. You know why? Because it's not important to me like it should be. 
Because if it was, I would be doing it. That's the conversations I have with myself. And that's how I become convicted about, do I love what Jesus loved? Do I love sinners the way Jesus loves sinners? If it were up to me to sacrifice myself to save the lost, would I be able to do that? And the answer is, I'm not sure. I'm not admitting to anything this morning. But Paul said he loved sinners so much, he was willing that he would send himself to hell if his countrymen could be saved. Do you feel that way about sinners this morning? And if so, what are you doing? If, if you don't and you want to change it, then make some changes. Do something. You know, we talk about mission trips. Obviously, this is Mission Trip Sunday, and we're, uh, I'd love for everybody to go on a mission trip, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know that's not a reality. And part of the reason that we do this is because I know most of you in here contributed something towards the fundraising for us to be able to go on these trips, and I want you to be able to celebrate it with us. But continue to do that. Some of you, that's what you can do. God's blessed you. He's given you the opportunity to be able to contribute uh, financially to the work of missions. So keep doing that. But not a single person in here. I don't care how big a check you write. You are not excused from communicating your testimony and what God has done for you with other people. Listen, do you understand this morning that the only thing that we can take to heaven with us is another soul? That's it. What will it be like if you get to heaven and you got saved, you took advantage of it, but there's not one single person in all of heaven that you can go to and point to and say, I led that person to the Lord. I shared the gospel with that person and they're here because God was able to use me. Man, what a sobering thought that would be. What a waste of a life that would be. The last thing, not only do we need to love what he loved, but we need to learn to live how he lived if we want to be like Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, I'm going to go ahead and read it. You can look on the screen. Running out of time here. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. Everybody say that word with me. Servant. Everybody say it with me. Servant. That's the form that Jesus took on. And that's how he lived his life. Was as a servant. You start looking at servants and how they live and what ma- they don't get to make decisions about where they go and how long they stay there and where they work and whether or not they like that job or if that fits into their, you know, personality. I don't think that when a servant was purchased by some slave owner that he gave him a gifts test to find out where he could most place them so that they would be happiest. (laughs) I don't think it worked like that. If we begin to live our lives like servants... Do you know how many problems it would eliminate for us? Because you see, servants don't have rights that they're constantly protecting. Most of our problems, most of our people struggles, most of the difficulties that we have in life is because we are so protective of ourselves and our agendas and we're constantly trying to keep ourselves in the center. But if we remove ourselves from the center and we put Christ in the middle and we become a servant to Him, so many of our lives' problems are eliminated. Now, 
Let me sum it up. The whole sermon today, the whole discussion this morning is about how not to have a wasted life. And here it is very simply. Love the church, love sinners, and be a servant. Think about if you live your life and make those three things priority. Let me make you a promise this morning. Your life will not be wasted. There is no way your life can be wasted if you love the church, love sinners, and be a servant. But there's a very good chance that if you live your life with yourself at the center, promoting your own agenda, letting the world set the standard for you about what is right and what is wrong, constantly chasing after the standards of the world and constantly putting other things above God, you can be assured your life's going to be wasted. But if you love the church, you love sinners, and you live as a servant, your life will never be wasted. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and celebrate what you've done in our church and with our mission.